0: You can turn in your copy of the Scriptures to Leviticus 25. Um, Some of you may know uh, that this past weekend marked a historic moment of celebration in the United Kingdom. Uh, It was Queen Elizabeth's Platinum Jubilee celebration, uh, a festive recognition of her 70 years on the throne, uh, the longest of any English monarch complete, if you've been watching the news with parades and services and sporting events and pageants and parties and fireworks, and and so to honor the Queen's Jubilee, uh, I'm going to preach a sermon to you on the year of Jubilee. No, I, I, I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm not preaching, <laughs> I I promise I have not organized our sermon schedule around a British holiday, uh, it just so happens, actually what we're honoring here is expositional preaching. That's what we're, we're honoring, uh, the the serendipitous occasions at times when uh, what we're preaching lines up with some, you know, random thing that's happening in the world. Um, but we do, we make a practice of preaching through books of the Bible, uh, expositionally, systematically, uh, because it, we believe it's God's word that should set the agenda. Uh, and it just so happens that this week on the, the Queen's Jubilee, we've come in our Study to the year of Jubilee. And I didn't plan that, but here we are. So uh, if you have your your copy of the Bible open to Leviticus 25, Uh, there we find God's instructions to his people uh, for the institution of the year of Jubilee. Uh, What's that, you ask? Thank you for asking. Uh, I will tell you. Leviticus 25, starting in verse 8. I'm going to reference the whole chapter. I'm just going to read this little section here to get us started. Leviticus 25, starting in verse 8, we read this. You shall count seven weeks of years, seven times seven years, so that the time of the seven weeks of years shall give you 49 years. Then you shall sound the loud trumpet on the tenth day of the seventh month. On the day of atonement, you shall sound the trumpet throughout all your land, and you shall consecrate the fiftieth year and proclaim liberty, Throughout the land to all its inhabitants, it shall be a jubilee for you. When each of you shall return to his property and each of you shall return to his clan. That fiftieth year shall be a jubilee for you. In it you shall neither sow nor reap what grows of itself nor gather the grapes from the undressed vines. For it is a jubilee. It shall be holy to you. You may eat the produce of the field. In this year of Jubilee, each of you shall return to his property. And if you make a sale to your neighbor or buy from your neighbor, you shall not wrong one another. You shall pay your neighbor according to the number of years after the Jubilee, and he shall sell to you according to the number of years for crops. If the years are many, you shall increase the price, and if the years are few, you shall reduce the price, for it is the number of the crops that he is selling to you. You shall not wrong one another, but you shall fear your God, for I am the Lord, your God. We'll stop there. Let me pray for us, and then we'll look at the Sabbath year and the year of Jubilee. Let me pray briefly one more time. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that, that you speak to us, that you haven't left us groping in the dark to, to find out or, or, or try and figure out who you are but that you have made yourself known clearly in your word. Uh, and we know this is what our hearts need most, to see a sight of you again, to see you are God and see all that you have done for us in Christ Jesus, to reconcile us to yourself, that we might rest in you again, that we might receive grace again, and having received grace might go out and live lives that, that please you, that bear witness to your goodness and your grace So we pray that you would do that now in us, that you would uh, transform us, that you would uh, take us from one degree of glory to the next as we behold uh, your Son, Jesus, even here in this text in Leviticus 25. Lord, we thank you. Would you bless the, the reading and the proclamation of your word? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So what is a year of Jubilee? Did that passage I read that made it very clear to you? You know, you got everything, it's all squared up. Uh, What is a year of Jubilee? What what we find here is that in addition to the feasts, God gives Israel in chapter 23. If if, if you were here uh, a few weeks back, I talked about many of these divine festivities that God institutes in the life of Israel. And uh, chapter 25 is kind of a sequel to chapter 23, where he gives uh, two other festivities to other institutions. And one of them is a Sabbath year for the land. You see that in verses 1 through 7. And then a year of jubilee every seven seven Sabbath years. Now, during the Sabbath year, God prohibited his people people from working the land. So, tilling the soil and, and sowing seed and and, and reaping and harvesting the crop, they, they had to take a year off. The land was allowed to rest. And then in the year of Jubilee, in, in addition to allowing the land uh, time to rest, all the members of Israel were to have all the land that they had sold in the past 49 years returned to them according to the ancestral allotments uh, that God lays out for Moses. Right? So if anyone had sold his land because he had become poor, right, if he had indebted himself to someone, that debt would be uh, canceled and, and forgiven, and he would, be, he would have his land returned to him. It was supposed to function like a kind of uh, reset button for Israel. Now, the best I can tell, there are four main reasons why God does this. So that's the what best I can tell, four main reasons God does this. I'm going to tell you all four, but I'm only going to focus on one. Here are the first uh, three. There's an agricultural reason. Uh, If you're a farmer, you know that uh, if you continue to sow seed and farm land, eventually the soil will deplete of nutrients. And so the soil actually needs time to rest and replenish. So there's a a very logistical agricultural reason that God embeds into the life of Israel so that the soil will actually have time to rest so that it will be more productive in future years. If you just keep working out the soil and working out the soil, eventually it will deplete of nutrients and your crops will fail. So there's an agricultural reason. There's a socioeconomic reason. The uh, freeing people from their debts roughly once per generation. That's kind of how it would shake out. Okay, so I think every 49, 50 years, can you think once per gen, pretty much everyone would have a experience, a Jubilee year like once in their lifetime. What it did was it prevented a severe social and economic stratification or, or division, right? Without this reset, as as some became poor, and were forced to sell off their property, if you track that out over decades, over years and and, and years and years and years, what you have is a widening gap between the wealthy who continue to accrue more and more property and the poor who continue to lose property. And so as a way to uh, sort of bridge that gap, God gives this uh, jubilee year. There's also a political reason in restoring the land back to its ancestral owners. So, if maybe some of you are doing a reading plan, a Bible reading plan, and if you are doing a Bible, like a read through the Bible in a year, you probably have already read through Joshua. And if you've read through Joshua, you probably got to those chapters that are kind of like, wow, this is really just a long list, a dry list of God telling the clans and the tribes of Judah, or the tribes of Israel. Here are all your land allotments. This family gets this land. This family gets this land. And it's just broken out over a number of chapters. Who gets what land? And you just sort of read through it and you go, well, why is that in there? Well, in the year of Jubilee, all the land returned back, was supposed to return back to its ancestral owners. Now, here's the why would God do that? The political reason? To keep the land in the hands of Israel. Right? So that, you know, if if this wasn't in place... Over time, the land, the promised land, remember God delivers his people out of Egypt into a promised land. And over time, if there wasn't this year of Jubilee, the land would just get parceled off and eventually the land could be lost. So every generation or so, the land returned all back to its ancestral owners, back to those original allotments to keep the promised land, the land of Canaan, in the hands of the 12 tribes of Israel, the land that God had given. Okay, so those are the first three reasons. That kind of answers the what, the why. There's one more why does God do this, and it's the reason that I want to focus on this morning. He gives a spiritual reason, and this is where I want to sort of plant our feet. Here's the, the spiritual reason. The greatest danger in the lives of the people in Israel and 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 brothers and sisters the greatest danger in your lives the greatest spiritual danger that is is that you would forget it's that you would forget that you would forget God that you would forget what he's done that you would forget who you are because of who he is and what he's done and that's why God gives this year of jubilee to, to remind Israel who he is and to remind Israel who they are in him. Those are my two headings for this morning. How did the, the Sabbath year and the Jubilee year show us these things? Who God is and who we are. The Sabbath Year and the year of Jubilee were both meant to, to vividly remind Israel of these two things so that they might persevere in their faith. And I'm hoping that, that what you'll find as we work through this is a reminder of who God is to us. It's not just a reminder of who God is to Israel, but a reminder of who God is to us. A reminder of who he has made us in him so that you might persevere in your faith. So, two headings who God is and who we are through the lens of the jubilee year and the Sabbath year, so first uh, and i 'm going to run through these briefly don 't't don't, if I just say this number you 're going to gasp, uh, but you don 't have to. I will run through them quickly i 'm going to give you five reasons or five things five um, ways or five uh, things about God that the, that israel 's reminded of in the year of jubilee and the Sabbath year, so the first thing is. Uh, and again, don't just hear this as, hey, here's what God wanted to remind Israel of. L- like, let me remind you of these things. Hear these as a reminder to you of who God is. So here's the first one. The Jubilee year was meant to remind them that God is the creator. God is the creator, right? Anytime you, you see the Sabbath principle and the Sabbath year, anytime you see that, it's a call back to creation, right? Where, where God created the world in six days and then on the seventh day, he rested. And so when God spoke to Moses and commanded the institution of the Sabbath for the land every seven years, it was a pointer back to God as the originator and creator of all things. Brothers and sisters, remember, you're God who made everything, who is the creator of everything. I think of this uh, passage in, in Nehemiah 9. I, I love this, this little verse in, in Nehemiah 9 uh, where we read this, you are the Lord, you alone, you have made heaven, the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them. And the host of heaven worships you. Brothers and sisters, I'm not giving you like a systematic theology category. Not just. This isn't just like, hey, don't forget this piece of information. Remember, Remember the God who made everything you see. The, the ground, the seas, the stars, the sky, the oceans, who made you. It was to be a reminder to them of God, their creator. The second thing is, it was to remind them that everything ultimately belongs to the Lord. Sabbath year, Jubilee, it was to remind them that everything ultimately belongs to the Lord to the Lord. A big part of the year of Jubilee was the recovery of land that God had given to Israel, right? So if, if you're, um, I told you, if you're working through the Bible, you see all those allotments and uh, the, the essentially what happens uh, or the way it's set up is is whenever land was sold, it was functionally like a lease, right? No land was ever sold in perpetuity, like forever, right? Land could only be sold could only sort of change ownership for a, a jubilee season, right now. If, and again, if you bought that land, you know, 15 years in, then it was the distance between the 15 years to the next jubilee. That's how long you could possess the land until ultimately it would be re- returned again to its original ownership. So, final ownership of the land could not be completely transferred. But look at the ground for this uh, this provision. Look look in your look in your Bible. Look at verse 23. He says, the land shall not be sold in perpetuity. Now, do you see the grounding clause for that? You see what it is? You see what God's saying? The land shall not be sold in perpetuity, for the land is mine. The Jubilee year was meant to be a reminder that all things ultimately belong to the Lord. You see, all the land was given to Israel and, and then returned to its ancestral owners every seven, th- uh, seven Sabbath years, it was a reminder to Israel of the underlying reality that, that all the land they had inhabited and, and, and acquired had come to them uh, by God's grace. It would belong to him, and he had given it to them. Right? They didn't have rights to the land before God, but they had it from God on loan. It was God's land. It was God's earth. It was God's possession that he gave to his people. It was a reminder of what Asaph later wrote in in his psalm about God. He writes this in Psalm 50, For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world and its fullness are mine. Brothers and sisters, everything in this world belongs to the Lord. There is nothing in the entire created order over which God does not say, mine. It's all His. It all belongs to Him. Third, it reminds them that God is a provider and a sustainer. There was a great danger in the hearts of God's people, and there is a great danger in, in our hearts. And that danger is that we would begin believing that we are independent, self-sufficient, autonomous, not dependent on God every moment of every day for life and breath and everything. And now you have to remember that the book of Leviticus is written before the people actually come into the land. Right? We're in the Pentateuch, it's not until Joshua, Right, this is Moses speaking, not until Joshua actually leads them in to take possession of the land, but the Lord here is preparing them. The Lord knows that when they go into the land and God gives them a land flowing with milk and honey, and he gives them cities that they didn't build and farms that they didn't plant, but then they begin to inhabit them and farm them, that the, the temptation will be for them to start trusting in themselves. Right To start trusting in their own abilities. Look, we were pretty good farmers. Look at the crop that just came in. Look what we've done. You see the danger to start trusting that all this time through the wilderness, right? Leviticus is written in the wilderness. They're still on their way out of Egypt. And as wanderers, they have had to depend on God every day for their sustenance. But God knows there's a danger when he plants them in a land and they now have a home and they're no longer wanderers, and they have their own farms and their own homes and their own cities. The temptation will begin to begin trusting in themselves. And so what does he do? A, a, a year of Jubilee. Every, every generation. A Sabbath year, every seven years. And in that, on that seventh year, and on that year of Jubilee, he says, no, no farming. No, no planting, no, no tilling, no reaping. He says, you're going to be wanderers again for a year. You see? You, the way you're going to eat, is you're just going gonna to gather. You're going to trust that I'm going to provide. Look, 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 look at the... Uh, um, verse 20. No, look at verse 6. I'll show you verse 20 in a second. Look at verse 6. They're going to have food to eat. They're going to have families, their servants, their cattle, all have food to eat. But, but God says, this food is not going to come by the work of their hands. Verse 6 says, the Sabbath of the land shall provide food for you. And then even more explicitly verse 20. He says, and if you say, what shall we eat in the seventh year? If we may not sow or gather in our crop. Verse 20 says, verse 21, God speaking, I will command my blessing on you in the sixth year so that it will produce a crop sufficient for three years. In other words, he says, you're going to have to trust in me. Like it comes, I will be the one who provides and sustains you. Now listen, is God saying, okay, so for six years, you guys are going to provide and sustain for yourselves but then on the seventh year, you got to trust me. Is that what he's saying? No. The seventh year is a reminder that you are always dependent on him for everything. He's the one who provides life and breath and everything. He's the one who provides crops. He's the one who provides health. He's He's the one who provides life. He's the one who provides the rains. He's the one that causes the crops to grow. He's the one who provides and sustains Sustains. Brothers and sisters, remember, the the Lord is the creator. Everything belongs to Him, and everything that happens in your life comes from the God who provides and sustains. Okay, fourth, God is their redeemer and deliverer. At the very center of the year of Jubilee is the proclamation of liberty. Did you see that? Look, look, look again with me at verse eight. Verse eight says, "You shall not count. You shall count seven weeks of years, seven times seven years, so that the time of the seven weeks of years shall give you forty-nine years. And then you shall sound the loud trumpet on the tenth day of the seventh month, on the day of atonement. You shall sound the trumpet throughout all your land, and you shall consecrate the fiftieth year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants." It shall be a jubilee for you when each of you shall return to his property, each of you shall return to his clan. Right, The, the, the year of jubilee was to be a year of release, a, a year of liberation and freedom. And Logistically, what that meant for uh, those Israelites that had become poor and, in, and incurred debt by selling their land or, or taking loans or even selling themselves into servitude was that their debts were wiped clean. They were released and set free to start fresh. Now again, God is trying to remind them of who he is. What what do you think God is is wanting to remind them of here? They're they're liberated, set free. Debts canceled. He's trying to remind them, I'm the one who freed you. I'm the one who who, who liberated you. It's a pointer back to the way God had redeemed them out of Egypt. Like every seven years and then every Jubilee year especially, a proclamation of liberty. That word Jubilee, by the way, um, in English it means like, you know, uh, an anniversary celebration. The Hebrew word that's used there actually just means a, a ram's horn. And it, it, it corresponds to the horn that they would blow. They would blow the horn and then proclaim liberty. Try and put yourselves there, okay? It's, it's, it's a, it's a uh, once a generation, this horn blows, and then liberty is proclaimed throughout all the land. And what is God trying to remind them of? I'm the one that freed you. I'm the one that, that set you free, that liberated you. Look, look I'm not making this up. Three times, God grounds his commands and in this institution, in this reality. Look at me. Uh, v- verse 35 and 38. He says, um, if a brother becomes poor, take him in, give him food at cost, loan him money, but at no interest. And then why? Look at verse 38. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan and to be your God. Okay, there's one example. Number two, you see, uh, he says... Um, Verse thirty nine through forty six, uh, thirty nine to forty six. He says, "If your brother becomes so poor that he sells himself to you, do not make him your sa- slave, but treat him as a, a hired worker. And when the year of jubilee rolls around, you know, cut him loose, return him back to his property, his clan. And then why? Right here, again, grounding clause. Why? Verse forty two: For they are my servants whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. They shall not be sold as slaves. You see, he sa- he's saying." Liberty is going to be proclaimed to remind you that you once were slaves. You were under the burden of, of oppression in Egypt. But then I showed up. Then I was merciful and I came to you and powerfully delivered you by my strong arm and, and freed you, liberated you. Yeah, one more. In the worst possible instances of poverty, an Israelite might be forced to sell himself into uh, uh, servitude to a foreigner, to a sojourner who had become rich. Um, God commands again that the, the one who, is, who hires himself, who sells himself into servitude, um, is to be treated as a hired worker and released in the year of Jubilee. Why? Verse 55 for it is to me that the people of Israel are servants; they are my servants, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. He's reminded, I'm the one who redeemed you and delivered you, and not to mention when when is the horn blow? Did blown? Did you catch that? What day? This okay? A little interactive is fine. What day? The Day of Atonement. I, not only am I the one who freed you from oppression and captivity, but, but I've set you free from the burden and the guilt of sin. right We go back to Leviticus 16 and God's provision of, of a sacrifice to forgive their sins and make them make it so that they can worship freely their God, who is now come to dwell with them. Okay, lastly, not lastly, there's more here, but I'm going to stop with this one. Uh, Lastly, it was to remind them that he is the covenant God of Israel. Do you see how many times, if you read through this whole chapter again, maybe sometime this afternoon, you will see how many times that God reminds them that he is the Lord. Capital L-O-R-D. The the covenant name of God, Yahweh. And, And see how the Jubilee year uniquely points to the covenant relationship between God and his people. Do you know what the Jubilee year does? the Jubilee year, and bringing all the land back into the hands of Israel reminds them that they are the covenant people that God chose to set his love upon. God, listen, not every nation can say, Yahweh is our God. Not every nation can say, we have a covenant relationship with Yahweh. Right In the Old Testament, Israel alone can say, Yahweh is our God. And you know what one of the greatest evidences of that was? He had given to them a land, the promised land of. Can- he had delivered them out of Egypt and given to them a land. And now every 50 years, that land comes back into the hands of Israel, and they are reminded once again, God is a God who delivered us, who fulfilled His promise to deliver us into, into, into a land flowing with milk and honey, who made covenant with us, who is our God. It was a reminder, you are the covenant God, the, the covenant people of God. Why? Because Israel was very special. Because Israel was very amazing. They were were head and shoulders in stature above all the nations. Is that why? No. There was nothing in Israel that made them stand out. Nothing. They were actually the weakest. But God sets his love upon them, his covenant love upon them. It was a reminder to them that everything they had and everything they are had come freely by his grace. You see? Brothers and sisters, you're... Do you know who your God is? The God who made you. The God who who owns all things, who sustains and provides. The God who redeems you, who delivers you. The God who makes covenant with you. We're going to do that in, 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 in a few moments. Celebrate the new covenant. The year of Jubilee was meant to remind them who God is, but it was also meant to remind them who they were in him. Who they were because of him. So, a couple things. You you notice that there's an emphasis uh, as you read through this chapter. There's an emphasis on what happens to those who are among the poor in Israel. In the year of jubilee, though it wasn't a complete and wholesale return of property, uh, there wasn't a returning of like cattle or you know equipment or something that you have bought. It was, it was focused on land. The poor were returned to the land of their fathers and given a kind of economic reset. And 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 so for those among the nation of Israel that were rich, they were required to let go of the property that they had purchased, to release servants. And, and to likewise, start over in a sense, and, and what was it that was supposed to motivate their obedience to this divine institution? It was the memory that God had delivered them that, that that they were poor slaves out of egypt and so look the jubilee the jubilee year was meant to remind them as as there's a unique attention paid to those who were poor who had uh you know sold off property and, and taken loans and maybe even sold themselves into servitude as there is this unique focus on the poor the jubilee year was meant to remind people in Israel that you were poor but in God he's made you rich you see there was a reminder in the in in the year of jubilee that you were absolutely destitute when when the Lord found his people in Egypt they were absolutely ruined, a poor, destitute bunch without any hope. But God, by his mercy and by his power and grace, made them rich, didn't he? Do do you you remember how the Hebrews flee out of Egypt? Do they flee out of Egypt empty-handed? Go back and look. They plunder the Egyptians. They leave Egypt with silver and gold. This this poor oppressed nation leaves Egypt carrying bags full of Egyptian treasure. And where does God take them? He takes them into a a, a barren wilderness. Does he finally deliver them into a land that can produce nothing? Nothing. No, he takes them into a land flowing with milk and honey. He takes them into a land with cities already built, cities that they didn't build, right? Cities that, that, that were constructed long before them, that, that now they control and inhabit. Farms that were planted long before them, that they, now they own, homes that now they get to live in. He, delivered, he takes them from poverty and delivers them into absolute wealth and abundance. See, the year of Jubilee was a reminder, you were poor absolutely destitute, but God in his grace has made you rich in him. There was a reminder also that they were slaves made free, you see. God instructs that when, Israelites, uh, that when an Israelite becomes poor and is forced to sell himself into some kind of servitude, he, he's not to be taken as a slave. He's to be treated as a hired worker. Those Israelites that had sold themselves into some kind of servitude were freed from their debt and returned to their land. Uh, why? Verse forty-two says, "For they are my servants whom I brought out of the land of Egypt; they shall not be sold as slaves." You know, God comes to His people and He says, "In this year of jubilee, the, the, any Israelite that has sold himself into servitude is released." But even in the institution, even in the when someone is forced to. to hire themselves out, to sell themselves into servitude, they are not to be regarded as slaves. Why not? Because God says, I redeemed you. I set you free and my people will never be slaves again. You see? And so every, every Sabbath year, every Jubilee, there was a reminder that God rescued, he set us free. We, we were captives, we were bound in chains, but God made us free. Now, I need to do a a short little parenthetical statement on slavery in the Bible. Um, So put a pin in that. I'm going to come back in just a minute. Um, One of the criticisms leveled against Christianity is our commitment to the sufficiency and the authority of scripture, and not selectively, all of it. Genesis through to Revelation, that we believe all of it to be the true word of God. And there are some people that will point to passages like the one that we have in front of us and argue that the scripture condones, even supports, and institutes slavery. And they'll argue, I can never worship a God. Like, how could you worship a God like that who, who condones slavery and who who supports slavery. What do we say to that? Is that an accurate assessment of the Bible? Does the Bible support slavery? Does it institute slavery? Now, there's, there's a lot I'd like to say about this, um, and I had like four paragraphs, and I was like, if I do these four paragraphs, the sermon is going to go really, really long. Uh, and so if you, if that's something that you've wrestled with in the past, and someone said that to you, and you're like, I don't really know how to answer that question, I would love to talk with you after the service, uh, but I'm just going to give you a, a quick sort of framework for understanding how the Bible deals with slavery. Uh, and I'm going to do it by way of analogy, actually. The Bible deals with slavery the same way the Bible deals with divorce. The Bible does not promote or support divorce as a moral good. It recognizes the fact that in a world with sinners, divorce is a reality. And so the Bible, um, what's the word I'm looking for? The Bible sort of organizes it. The Bible restricts it. The Bible regulates it. That's the word I was looking for. The Bible regulates how, how then should, what is the proper context for divorce in a world where it will eventually and necessarily Happen because of sin. The Bible deals with slavery in the same way; it does not promote, does not condone, does not institute slavery. It recognizes it as a tragic reality of life in a sinful world and regulates it. Now, again, there's a lot more to say, um, and there's passages even in Leviticus that we can point to that that sort of undermine this idea. A lot of times, when we think of slavery, we have you know. Uh, 18th, 17th, 16th century triangular slave trade, African-American. We're dealing with something different here. Uh, that's not to say it's good. It's, it's a brutal institution, uh, but the Bible uh, does have more things to say about it, which again, I'm happy to talk with you uh, about afterwards. Um, So the the point, though, is that uh, the Bible does not institute or condone or support slavery. Uh, Rather, it recognizes it as a part of life in a sinful world and thereby tries to regulate it. Does that make sense? I know there's more to be said. Um, Okay, coming back. Parenthesis closed. Back to the main point. Here's the point. Why the Jubilee year? It was to remind them that they were the poor. Israel, you were the poor made rich. You were the slaves made free. You were wanderers given a home. You were not a nation, but God made you a people and poured out his covenant love upon you. The Sabbath year and the year of Jubilee was meant to remind them of that reality and so strengthen their faith and their devotion to the Lord. So year by year, season by season, generation by generation, as they celebrated these Sabbath years and these years of jubilee as God's people, they were to continually remember who God is and who they are. You remember I started this saying, there is a great danger. What is the danger? What did I say the danger was? Forgetting. Forgetting. Forgetting who God is, forgetting what he's done, forgetting who you are because of him. Okay, so that's the intention. But if you know at all the general trajectory of Israel's history in the Old Testament, you will know that that is not what happens. In fact, we have very scant evidence that the Jubilee year was ever celebrated. Like maybe it was, but there's really no strong evidence to suggest that it was ever celebrated even once. Not only that, but everything that the Jubilee year pointed to, their their freedom from slavery, their God-given wealth, their unique status as a nation, their, their blessing underneath God as his covenant people, All of that, that the Jubilee year pointed to, was upended, was turned over by their sin. Over the years, they didn't remember the Lord. They forgot him. They they turned to worship idols. They forgot. And as a result, the Lord's judgment fell upon them. And, And do you know what happened? They were conquered, pillaged, exiled, Taken out of their homes, made servants, put back in chains, put taken off to a foreign land. All of those promises, all of those realities, flipped on their head, and the Jews were left wondering if the Sabbath years and and the Jubilee years and all that they pointed to were just pipe dreams, right? Just some ideal that 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 that. that uh, would never be realized just some pie in the sky idea that that Moses gave to them one time and there was silence but hundreds of years later a man named Jesus walks into a synagogue in Nazareth and this is what he says Luke 4 verse 16 Recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Do you see what he's doing there? Jesus comes, quoting Isaiah 61 which is borrowing all kinds of jubilee language. Did you hear it? Why? did why? Jesus, the spirit of the Lord is upon him to do what? To proclaim liberty. Does that sound familiar? To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Sound familiar? Do you know what Jesus is doing when he comes into the synagogue and, and reads Isaiah 61? Then he says, you know what he says? He says, This scripture, this prophecy is fulfilled in your hearing. Do you know what he's saying? He's saying, I am the year of Jubilee. I am the year of Jubilee. All all of those promises that, that seem to be upended are fulfilled in me. I am the year of jubilee. All of those promises will find their fullest expression in me in the work that I will do. You see, Jesus came to bring riches. He came to bring freedom. He came to bring a a home and a welcome, but not just physical. He didn't come to just bring physical riches. He didn't come to, to actually liberate people out of chains. He came to free people from the bondage of sin. He came to free people from spiritual poverty and and deliver them into all the riches of knowing him and being known by him. He he came to take a people who were not a people, who had no mercy, and make them God's people by reconciling them to God himself through his life and death and resurrection. How does he do that? Look, watch this. Jesus came into the world, but he doesn't come into the world wealthy, does he? He comes into the world poor. Not, not, not to sit down on a throne, but to be born in a manger. He comes into the world not as a king, but as a servant. He lays down all the riches of his heavenly dwelling and makes himself poor. And don't you see that Jesus was, was shackled and chained and bound He was imprisoned and he was oppressed. And Jesus was plunged into a wilderness and he was made to wander. And the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He comes into the world a wanderer. Why? So that you, by his poverty, might become rich. So that you, by his oppression and his being bound up in chains, might be set free from the bonds of sin. So that you, who were exiles, who were outsiders, who were strangers to the promises of God, would be brought in and welcomed. And he was exiled, wasn't he? Cast out. Rejected by his people and and taken outside the city. And then on the cross he experienced all these things. The poverty, the, 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 the captivity... The rejection, he experiences these things with an intensity and an ultimacy that we can't even imagine. Right On the cross, he's plunged into a poverty of soul that we cannot even fathom as the joy of being loved and accepted by his father is completely stripped from him. It's stripped and replaced by the fierce hatred of God for the sin he bore in his body. Your sin and my sin. And on the cross, we, we find Christ having sold himself into debt, hasn't he? A debt that he didn't incur, but sold, having sold himself into a debt that was incurred by us. Having taken on his back our debt. Chained and bound to a tree. And on that tree, he endured the absolute wilderness of being utterly forsaken by God, exiled out of his presence, rejected, abandoned, forsaken, cut off. And why? 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 So that you, brothers and sisters, so that you by his poverty might be rich, so that he might give to you all the immeasurable riches of his kindness in the coming ages. Amen? For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich so that you who were slaves to sin could be set free so that he could proclaim liberty from the debt of sin. Romans 6, verses 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. The old man, the, the sin, the body of sin, crucified with Christ. And you, were, you were wanderers, having no home, but now you've been welcomed into the kingdom of God, into the family of God, into the home of God, so that Jesus promises he's preparing a place for us in his Father's house. You were outsiders and aliens and strangers to God's covenant, but now you are the covenant people of God by faith in Christ. Ephesians 2.13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You see, Jesus is the eternal. Listen to me. Jesus is the eternal, never-ending, forever jubilee year of his people. And every Sunday is our Jubilee celebration. Every Sunday we gather together again to remember who God is and what he's done and who we are because of it. We we, we get to perpetually live in the year of Jubilee. There's There's no six years, we just live in it until we experience the fullest expression of it in glory. And as they are reminded of who God is and and who they are. And as we are reminded who God is and who we are, that we're rich in Jesus, that we're free in Jesus, that we're home in Jesus. We we live lives that reflect his grace. Rich in Jesus and so compassionate towards the poor. Free in Jesus and so filled with joy. Home in Jesus and so hospitable towards uh, strangers. Knowing that God is our provider and so content in all circumstances. Knowing God is our maker and sustainer and so trusting in Him for all of our needs. Knowing that God is the God who restores, who redeems. And so filled with hope in a new heavens and a new earth when God will finally restore and finally redeem. There's this little, little hint. This little, little hint. In this passage, in verse 23, look there with me real quick. Verse 23, I'm nearing a close. Verse 23, this little hint that the promise of land, physical land restored, is just a pointer, just a whisper to something greater. Verse 23, he says, The land shall not be sold in perpetuity, for the land is mine. And then this sentence, for you are strangers and sojourners with me. Do you know, he says, the identity of God's people is always perpetually on this side of glory as strangers and sojourners. Always as those who are looking forward in hope to a better country. To a a city of God. To a city whose foundations are made by God himself. Let me close with this quote from Uh, A pastor who pastored uh, the New Park Street Bible, uh, or the New Park Street uh, Chapel in in London. He was the pastor uh, before Spurgeon. Uh, You know Charles Spurgeon? Uh, Before him uh, was this pastor, John Rippon, Uh, and he says this. uh, In in uh, a moment of exaltation of Jesus Christ, in a prayer he says, Free us from sin and all its chains, the worst of slavery bind us to Christ in holy bonds, the sweetest of liberty. That's what we celebrate in the the year of jubilee, and that's what we get to celebrate every Sunday, the sweetest of liberties, that God in grace, by his son's life, death, and resurrection, has made us free in him from sin. Brothers and sisters, rejoice in that reality. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks for this time in your word to to, to soak in again the truth of your word that you have made us your own, that you have set us free from the bonds of sin, that you have made us your own. And not because of anything special in us, and not because of anything we've done, but because of your finished work, because of Christ's finished work on the cross. Lord, I pray that these brothers and sisters would rest in Christ's work, And that out of that rest, they would live lives that point to your goodness and your grace. That they would call others into that fellowship, into knowing you by faith in your Son. Lord, thank you for this time. We pray all these things in in Jesus' name.